company after company are getting data with field trials on the farm to show that you can reduce fertilizer by 25% or 50% or even completely. And so um, it's, it's it's an interesting world. Microbes can really help us in that regard. There are microbes that sequester carbon. That means they reduce the carbon that is released out into the air and keep it Mm -hmm. in the soil. This is very important. So adding microbes to the soil or changing your microbiome to enhance those carbon sequestering microbes can um, reduce greenhouse gas emission. Agriculture is 11 to 15% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So this is a big deal. Microbes are part of the answer here to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that's another added benefit of having a healthy soil. It's time for conversations about our food and how it's grown on Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. Of all the subjects that we talk about on Farm to Table Talk, the one I get so many questions about, and I have questions myself, is the importance of life underground and what implication it has to farming to what we eat what the future is and and i can't think of a better person to have with me today to talk about it than pam maroon uh pam welcome to farmer table talk thank you well, great to be here and and talk uh soil health and microbiome 101 <laughs> hey <laughs> pam uh you must have started looking into this before it was getting fashionable what what oh my God! You- I was w- I was way ahead of my time on this microbiome stuff. Yeah, I've been mining the microbiome for decades. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. tell us about that moment of inspiration when you thought, "Wait a minute, there's a future here." You're literally digging into the ground and 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 thinking this is something you're both ended up pursuing with your own studies, your your research, and ultimately establishing companies dealing with this. Well. I maybe it goes back to my parents' roots because uh, they, I mean they were gardeners, really big gardeners and uh, organic gardeners, and uh, really focused on soil. And my mom was was into soil health and adding microbes through compost teas and manure teas way back when when I was little. And I I think that's where I got I got hooked on it. And then my father used BT, which is Bacillus thuringiensis, the first ever commercialized microbe which is actually a soil microbe for spraying on gypsy moth, now called spongy moth, when it would come through and devastate his trees. So um, it was just way back when growing up on a beautiful 40 acre mini farm in Southern Connecticut that I, I just got, got exposed to it, I think through, through my parents. And, uh, and it said, um, you know, when I, when I, after I got out of graduate school, I said, I want to work with microbes. And I uh, was hired by Monsanto company, which was looking for new ways to control pests. And I set up a microbial natural product screening program where we would we would scout and bioprospect all over the globe looking for microbes and testing them and see what they did. And uh, Monsanto, of course, decided they wanted to be more in the GMO space. So they cut that program, but I got hooked on microbes. And then three companies later, Entotech, AgriQuest, and Marone Bio, and then I'm doing a new company called the Invasive Species Corporation, deploying microbes uh, as pest management. But that's only using them as crop inputs is only one part of the whole thing. 
the, 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 there's a, there's a, there's, you know, developing products that you can add to the soil and, and enhance the microbiome or change the microbiome. But let's talk about the basics of the microbiome in the soil itself. Okay. Okay. So soil health is the continued capacity of soil to function as a vital living ecosystem that sustains plants, animals, and humans. Okay. So that's my favorite definition of soil health. It's talking about what is alive in the soil. Now, historically, soil assessments of soil quality have focused on maybe physical, nutritional, uh, you know, things like that. So um, how much nitrogen is it in there? How much phosphorus? How much, you know, how, how much soil does, does your, how much soil, uh, nutrient quality of your soil? And, um, and, and it never, or, you know, the soil chemistry, basically, um, and soil physical qualities, particle size and, and, and so forth, but water holding capacity, but not, not, never talked at all about the life in the soil. Now, why can we do that now? Because new tools are out there of genomics that can tell you what's in your soil genetically by characterizing um, the microbes genetics in the, the, the genomics, basically this gene sequence um, that that is each microbe is is the gene sequence of each microbe that's in your soil. So there's companies like Trace Genomics or uh, BioMakers that do this for a living. And if you're a farmer, gardener, or whoever, you can send in a soil sample and they'll tell you what's in there. And then you can adjust your practices on your farm or your garden, and then you can send another sample and say, okay, well, how did my soil microbiome change um, af after I did, I added this biostimulant or I did this tilling or whatever. And um, so, so that's the exciting thing about today. We, we can characterize what's going on. Um, but there's, um, there's some things that are pretty basic to talk about. Okay. So what is the microbiome? It is the type of microbes that live in the soil associated with plants, plant roots. And they're uh, bacteria, they're fungi or fungus, they're um, streptomycetes, they're, they're, uh, actinomyces, which is, there's three groups of microbes, bacteria, fungi, and actinomyces. actinomyces. Oh, say, that, say that last one yeah. again. Actinomyces. Yeah. Okay. Now, most people don't know about actinomyces. But they're very important in the soil, but they're also very important to people because most of your antibiotics come from actinomyces. Um, and so like, uh, for example, you know, tetracycline, erythromycin, things like that. So it's a it's a group of microbes. It's kind of in between bacteria and fungi, but is produces a, a whole plethora of different things. Um, and then you have in your soil, you have protozoa. Um, so you have um, other things in there and you've got insects and nematodes. And so you've got a whole system. Now, what we are finding out about farming systems is that organic farmers have focused on soil health more so than conventional farmers because they can't use synthetic fertilizers. So they, the whole foundation of organic farming has been a healthy soil yields a healthy plant and then use less inputs. Um, and so now conventional farmers are, are getting this and all along the globe or all around the globe, 
every you know government or regulatory body is now talking about how to enhance your soil health because when you enhance your soil health you increase those good microbes in the soil and what do those good microbes do they fix nitrogen so they can take nitrogen from the air turn it into fertilizer that the plant can use they can t- help phosphorus that's in your soil or if you apply it as a fertilizer and you can apply less if you have more microbes that um, can help your plant plant take up phosphorus better. Um, same with micronutrients um, or calcium or potassium or manganese. There are microbes that help the iron, that plant take up nutrients more efficiently. So big area of improving your soil health is increasing the microbes that can help your plant take up nutrition. And then you can use less chemical fertilizer. Wow. So even if the soil is black, it doesn't have a correlation to... Uh, yeah, the- well, no, the more organic matter there is, and if it's black, it generally has more organic matter, the more the more likely you're going to have a, a, a better soil health and a microbiome, yes. Yeah. So, okay, now I was interrupting you a little bit. No, no, that's fine. So, so was- you've, got, you've got all this community, uh, which is foundational to whether you're a farm or a garden and we're going to make the connection too because you alluded to how this is uh, affecting the health of animals and humans and and beyond but so foundational everything under our foot has got something going on and somewhere along the line the technology both in like you were saying you could send it in and get tests yeah you could identify those communities and then you start naming them too, can't you? Can't that's you right. Identify that, that microbes. Will send you back the names. And that's important because the names, there's there's com- there's ones that are commonly known as the good microbes. And they, as I said, they can help your plant take nutrition, nutrients up better, chemical nutrients better, mineral nutrients, or they can they can be bio biocontrol. They can ward off plant diseases or insects or nematodes. Or they can um, uh, as uh, they can uh, help the crop with dry, with water stress, so they can make the the, the crop uh, resist water stress. So these microbes are doing a lot of different things. Yeah, I would I would guess when you started doing this, the the list of what we could identify was relatively short compared That's to right. what we are today. So, That's right. So That's right. If, if, how how many of these microbes actually are identified and named so that you could. You could say, oh, yeah, that's so-and-so. Well, that's a very good question because uh, you can often identify uh, to a genus, let's say Bacillus, which is a common biocontrol um, plant stimulant type microbe in the soil. But a lot of times you might not know what the species is. Um, and the the, the techni- techniques we have today might say, well, I know it's bacillus, but I don't know what species, then you might have a new species. But actually, we have to take it down to the strain level. So let's say we have a bacillus subtilis, a common biostimulating biofungicidal microbe in the soil. Every strain is different. So that makes it even more complicated that you'll have um, when you get your 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 tests back, your your results back from the companies, They'll say, you know, you'll have, you know, this many 10 billion, you know, bacillus subtilis, but they'll say, tell you that you have, you know, 20 different strains of bacillus subtilis. It's not just the species. So 
That's how detailed it is. And the strengths can be very different. So that's why the Environmental Protection Agency, when you when you want to get a discover a biofungicide and you submit it to EPA, they they require you to characterize your at the strain level because of that diversity. Yeah. Hmm. Every microbe's different that you find. And we've only tapped into a teeny, 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 teeny like 0.1% of the biodiversity in the world. So um, there's so much more to discover. And there's a lot of times you find brand new species. I myself um, have discovered multiple new species from soil. Um, well, my teams have over the years. Yeah. Well, is there a number? I mean, is that like a million or a hundred or that have been have been identified and named? I don't think that, I think we said that we have, it's like 0.1%, I think. Right. Well, 0.1%, but. It, it, I don't it, know. I, I mean, I don't it, know in terms a of a number what that would be. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I'm kind of where I'm heading towards is that with artificial intelligence and, yeah. and you know, when you, you look at this, you know, big data. Yeah. So it sounds like we could be heading towards a time that we've got more and more of it identified. And then you yeah. can identify where uh, shortcomings are That's and right. at some point in time somebody's got a farm or a garden or whatever right. or even a yard and they say well look this is what you got under your foot That's right but here is the optimum from what we've seen other That's places right. and so you are short you know this this and this exactly yeah, that's exactly right. And no question, you mentioned artificial intelligence, very buzzy today, but there is no question that artificial intelligence, machine learning will be able to help us identify um, the microbes um, and characterize them a lot faster um, and, and see the patterns faster and make recommendations. That's true. So let's go back here to a little bit of, of what I was going to call uh, microbiome for dummies, because I'm the dummy. But so if you identify um, what's optimal in, in a farm, a land, a garden, wherever else, you identify what's what's optimal. So yeah. you see the gap. Yeah. And can uh, commercially, is it available for people to go out and purchase what they need to, to you know, supplement the soil with uh, with what's needed there? Yes, you can. So uh, there are almost too many. There's many hundreds of companies that are providing microorganisms that you can supplement your soil with. And um, so some of them are bugs in a jug. Some of them are, you know, bathtub brews and others are reputable science-based companies. So the key for a grower to know, it, uh, you know, which company that he, that he can supplement their soil with. Um, and it may not be just adding something, crop input from some company. It may also be changing the practice. For example, tilling destroys the microbiome. So if you go to minimum tillage, you plant cover crops, you restore the microbiome. Now, something very fundamental that I have to mention is that the crop variety, the specific crop variety that you're growing selects the microbiome to associate with itself. The plant picks the microbes it wants, the ones it wants to help it. And it has, plants have signaling molecules that say, hey, come here, come to me and do your thing and do your good thing and help me take up nutrients and help me resist stress. So what's remarkable is how durable those communities of microbes are. So you can 
en enhance those by adding some crop inputs, um, the biostimulant inputs or bionutrient inputs. And it's known that organic fertilizers will improve the microbiome, biodiversity, and numbers. Um, if you add synthetic nitrogen, you can turn off the nitrogen fixing microbes. They get lazy. They don't need to fix nitrogen because and give you nitrogen because they're they've already got there's there's already enough in the soil from that synthetic. So you wreck your microbiome. So um, so you can you can manage your soil health many different ways. As I said, reduce tillaging, planting cover crop, um, um, and uh, and adding uh, inputs. Um, it, changing your fertilizer regime adding, and composting. And so you can do many different things, changing your watering, all many different things that changes the microbiome. Yeah. Wow. And I suppose at some point in time, you or someone else had to go out and find these microbes and you've, yes. you've, and you've got one you think is a real candidate to fill a certain need that both yep. what the soil needs and what the plant yep. needs. So uh, other than bringing it back from wherever it is, you find it, how do you, how do you propagate? Uh, you know, how do you how do you raise a crop of microbes to be able to get them to a commercial level to be able to apply them to a, a field or a garden? Yeah, so the you can take the microbe in its pure form. You know, take it on a petri plate and and put it what's called isolation. Put it on a petri plate in its pure form where there's no other microbes on the plate, um, and uh, then you transfer that microbe into a uh, a, a stainless steel tank a fermentation vat, like you're making wine or beer, uh, and, and put that microbe inside the vat with its food, its liquid um, recipe of food that helps it make it grow. And uh, then you agitate it um, at a fast speed and put it at a temperature that it likes. So you have to determine what speed and temperature and recipe and food it likes. Every microbe is different and has a specific thing it likes to feed, feed on. So you have to find out... Um, through your trial and error, what is the best recipe for and, and conditions for growing the microbe? Then in your vat, it might take much, much faster than making wine and beer. So it could be 36 hours through, let's say 96 hours where uh, the microbe uh, eats that food and is finished. Um, and then um, you're left with the spent fermentation media and the microbe in there. And then you harvest it, which means you take it out of the tank and you can, um, if it's stable, not every microbe is stable in a liquid form. Some are, some aren't. You can dry it uh, like you're making powdered milk, um, or you can keep it liquid depending on the type of microbe. And then you can package it in a in a in a jug or in a um, or in a in a bag. Wow, man, we're going to slow down here because people are thinking about this. And for the one thing, I mean, you got a tank, you got a microbe in the tank like this. And they can be finicky, just like your granddaughter yes, that wouldn't yes, eat exactly. asparagus, right? Yes. And so you kind of have to find what they want. So that's a little bit of a trial and error. It's, it is. It, and what's an example of of a of a food? What a mixture that a soy that a, flour, oh. milk protein, molasses. I mean, these are types of things. So generally, agricultural raw materials go into generally go into your tank. So, and you want to get cheap. Inex the more inexpensive materials you can find, then your process is cheaper and then you can provide it at a better price to the grower. Um, so, uh, but soy flour is a very common ingredient. So, um, you get the, so you get a tank full of this stuff now, is that, and you can either, it can be, it can be dried or maintained liquid as well. Is that? Well, yeah, you add water to the, to the recipe of the, of the ingredients. Okay. And, uh, and you add water and it's a, it's a, 
slurry and it agitates and it, it uh, mixes it up um, with a, with a high speed, a mixer, just like you're, you're mixing um, at home in a, in your mixer. And, uh, but it goes for the whole time you, you, you have the, the agitation on the mixer on for the whole time you're fermenting. Yeah. 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 I mean, would that be enough to like, you know, fill a tanker or, or a, a five gallon bucket, you know, what's. Well, there are many different types of sizes of vats. So, uh, of fermenters. So my commercial ones from a, my past companies, um, were three stories. You can make smaller batches, um, in, in, uh, you know, four gallons all the way up to thousands of gallons. Yeah. Wow. You know, for another podcast sometime, we need to talk about similarities. Maybe we touch on similarities of what's going on with humans. Because yeah. people that yeah. are trying to figure out what's in their gut and right. that their own microbiome in their, in their guts, and then, you know, trying to match up what foods they should be eating and, and, uh, and all of these, it almost seems like it's a, it's a, it's a parallel in some respects. There, there is no question. So there, there, we're, we're now finding that microbes associated with plants, um, yeah, contribute to a healthy microbiome. There's no question. I mean, I, I go to, you know, probiotics, people understand. It's interesting when I go on a plane and I and people ask me what I do and I start telling them about microbes. What's remarkable is that nearly everybody understands the difference between good microbes and bad microbes because they understand yogurt, probiotics and yogurt. And uh, it's a that's a good um, example. And fermented food, sauerkraut or pickles or something. Everybody understands that now. Kimchi, if you're from, you know, if you're Asian or Korean. And so, um, so it is a good parallel. Um, and, and those, so we, we have now learned that certain crop varieties have been bred to have a low, very poor microbiome associated with it. And then you need to add more chemicals and fertilizers to those crop varieties. So now crop breeders have to be considering to breed the crop to attract those microbes by keeping the signaling molecules inside when they breed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when you, you mentioned adding some chemicals and, and so forth to the soil, but in fact, you're also reducing some of the uses uh, as well. And you, you mentioned earlier, like the nitrogen and some of the, the microbes right. that are able to do a nitrogen fixing and make better right. utilization. Does that directly relate then to reduced nitrogen it does. applications? Yes, it does. So there's a, because of the high price of fertilizer today and the need, well, Europe has um, has targets for reductions of chemical fertilizers. And there's a real push to reduce the chemical fertilizers because of the, the runoff and, um, and the, you know, what it does to water quality and causes nitrates and phosphate pollution and so forth. So, uh, yes. So company after company getting are getting data with field trials on the farm to show that you can reduce fertilizer by 25% or 50% or even completely. And so um, it's, it's a, it's an interesting world. Microbes can really help us in that regard. You know, there was a time where we were just generally fearful of bacteria. And then we started referring a little understanding a little bit about microbes, but it, it yeah. does make me wonder when you get underground, are there some that are just bad that, that there's uh, some, you know, evil uh, microbes that uh, sure. end up destroying stuff. Yeah, there's bad microbes. So, of uh, so there's microbes that cause plant disease and kill roots, um, and you know destroy your your qual your crop. 
there's microbes, there's E. coli, there's salmonella, oh, you know, sure. these th- things. If you, if you are living, if you are adding water, that's from a contaminated source of an animal operation nearby, you might get those bad microbes. So, yeah. So you want to know, you don't, you don't want to, again, you don't want to have those in your soil and you can have uh, practices on your farm that would prevent those from growing. And um, there's a term called suppressive soils. And if you if you're a farmer and you see a part of your field where you never have any plant disease, you know you don't have any crop failure. You know that for some reason the plants are growing much healthier. That's usually a suppressive soil, which means it has a good microbiome and it's warding off the bad bugs. And uh, we now know that different crop varieties select good microbes to ward off plant diseases on the roots. Yep. Wow. And probably there's a limit to how much you can make judgments just by um, looking at it or assuming, well, in this particular area, this seems to work well or that seems to work well. You've got to, uh, I'm sure, have to do a lot of more you know, specific testing. Yeah, you do. I mean, there's, there's. Um, let's say you, you're a grower and you're a lettuce grower and you're war- really worried about getting fusarium, the bad fusarium uh, race strain in your, which is a root. Um, pathogen causes root disease. That's a really bad one. You don't want it on your farm. You have to be careful about these testing, you know, what you're testing, because you could get a report back from the company and says, okay, I found for for fusarium race three or whatever it is, race four on your farm. And then, you know, you're going to freak out and say, oh my God, oh my God, I've got this, 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 uh, this fusarium. So just because you're detecting a particular bad microbe doesn't mean it's going to become a big problem. Mm. So, um, you know, that's, that's one of the lessons we're learning. Um, yeah. Do you envision a, a, a time where somebody could, you know, get the test and they, they know everything that's down there in the, in their soil and be able yeah. to go to a chat GPT or something equivalent in artificial intelligence and say, Hey, here's my lineup. Here's what I'm trying to grow what's the best combination I need to be able to get into my soil that might be missing? You can do that today. Yeah. Really? That today. Yeah. Yeah. You have to know what questions to ask Chappie T, but it comes back and tells you like, I, I can't do that. You'll have to ask this, which is pretty cool. So you can keep asking and asking and asking to get finally to what you want. Yeah. Oh, but then uh... Then I suppose you could also go another step and say, "Where can I get it?" But it would, would be they probably they might not know that part. <laughs> so probably then, not. The, now that's going yeah. to be some uh, eventually the advertising that gets yeah. attached to. There it, are that, companies now that are getting more sophisticated in that they're they're they have the testing internally to their company, and they give you a prescription input. So they're doing the testing and the, giving you the input prescription microbe. Um, the, the, they write the prescription to improve your soil at the same time. So there's new companies popping up that are starting to do that. You know, Pam, you're convincing me this is the way forward. I, I can't imagine surviving and farming in the long term if you don't get yourself up to speed on these things. Absolutely. And that's why all the government agencies are so into soil health these days. And um, Climate Smart Agriculture, we didn't talk about that, but there are microbes that sequester carbon. That means they reduce the carbon um, that re- is released out into the air and keep it mm-hmm. in the soil. This is very important. So adding microbes to the soil or changing your microbiome to enhance those carbon sequestering microbes 
can um, reduce greenhouse gas emission. Agriculture is 15, 11 to 15% of all greenhouse gas emissions. So this is a big deal. Microbes are part of the answer here to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So that's another added benefit of having a healthy soil. So you get this little tiny thing and you start with the, the you know a tiny single microbe that does it. You can put it in a big tank and give it the feed at once and come yep. up with the quantity to be able to, yep. to treat an area and do enough of that. And you're going to be having an impact on the climate. That, that's correct. Absolutely. In fact, my old company, Marone Bio, characterized, did this actual exercise and got a third party company to uh to determine how much greenhouse gas uh, emissions we would we would re- be reduced by switching from from to from chemicals to um, to biologicals, and it was ninety percent reduction of greenhouse gas emissions. Pretty remarkably, that is remarkable. Hey, let's talk about this these journeys. You you talked to, about your journey of getting into this and why you were find it appealing, but let's touch on the kind of companies that you've been able to establish and what you're what you're working on right now. What's the next company? Uh, yeah. Area. So all the companies that I've I've started, Entotech, Agriquest, Marone Bio, were finding the microorganisms that live out there in nature and then testing them to see what they do, whether they kill a pest or enhance a plant, uh, increase plant growth or reduce crop stress. And and for my new company, the Invasive Species Corporation, we are looking. We have microbes that are beyond just uh, agriculture. We have a microbe that kills invasive carp, and we have, which we licensed from the US Geological Survey. And we have a microbe that kills invasive zebra and quagga mussels in water, which is another invasive species. Remarkably, you can find a microbe that can do just about anything against any pest and be safe and selective. This one against the invasive mussels doesn't kill anything except those two species of invasive mussels. And so that's pretty exciting. And then as we were doing our, our discussions with everyone out there, customers, you know, they said, you know what, why aren't you working on herbicides? And I said, yeah, that's a very good point. There's, there's a real need for new herbicides because in agriculture, there's so many weeds that are resistant to the major herbicides and increasingly every day. Um, and, and there hasn't been a new mode of action launched for decades and there's nothing there's there's no bioherbicides used for aquatic weeds which is a huge invasive weed invasive weed and toxic algae um that to control so we're going to tackle aquatic algae and aquatic weeds as well as we'll probably same hoping to find the same microbes that can go into all three markets um algae control aquatic weed control and um and and agriculture so we are are working on, we're kind of in stealth mode, working on an AI guided way to speed up our screening and find these things quickly. What, what gets you the, the most enthused about what's ahead of us? I mean, the science and the scientific tools that we have have completely changed um, and, and now, and they're changing at such a rapid pace that it enables us to to find th- find new microbes, characterize them, ferment them very very much faster and better uh, uh, than the cycle time than we did in the past. So I'm excited by all the different scientific tools that can help us with this journey of finding a new product. Um, at the same time, I'm excited by the fact that there's still 
99.9% of the world's biodiversity that we haven't tapped into to look at and and uh, utilize um, in, a, in a positive way. So uh, we're just at the very early cusp. Now, more than 50% of your pharmaceuticals, your drugs are from natural products, from plants and microorganisms, maybe only about 15% of your pesticides. So, um, so we have a, a ways to go to tap into this microbiome and for both pest management as well as um, crop improvement, drought stress, nutrient uptake, et cetera. So those things are, are, are exciting me. What's, um, what's a little difficult is that we still have a lot of education of the end customer. <laughs> they don't know about this. Um, and and they, they don't understand this biology part and are used to, so used to chemicals easily applied and they know they're predictable. And so it's a lot more complicated, the living world and how to use these biologicals. So we, we have to do a lot better job of educating our customers and how to use these products effectively. I got, I got to ask you one more question about the outcome of using these things. And that is that a lot of what we're talking about suggests you know, getting more of a fruit or a vegetable or a grain yeah, or something. Yeah. And, but what about, uh, what about the nutritional qualities, uh, or the flavors? So, I mean, could you get, could you end up finding microbes might end up making a tomato have higher levels of lycopene and, and, um, you know, more delicious flavor, uh, because of the microbial community? Absolutely. There are, there's data, there's, data and companies today that have that information. Um, there's lots and lots of examples of where microorganisms not only improve yield, because yield is not always what you want. You might improve quality. You want you want higher bricks, which is higher sugar in your strawberry or tomato um, or lycopene, like you said, indeed. So food for health or the nutritional or nutrient density, they call it, of the crop is increasingly important. Um, a lot of consumer groups and consumer companies are are talking about this, that we're going to produce a crop that's lacking nutrition, or are we going to improve the nutrient density and how in, in producing the crops? Microbes can do that, and we know they can do that. There's lots of lots of data on that. I had I had a number of products that we measured the bricks, the sugar, and mm -hmm. it would improve it. And there's a and uh, Bayer bought my old company, AgriQuest, and they have a microbe called Serenade, and they have many versions of it, different uh, versions that they've improved of it. And the latest version makes the, the potato skin tougher, so it wards off a very bad disease. And so, um, you know, in, in addition to increasing the size and quality of the, the potato. So. Yeah. Well, Pam, there's... It makes me feel like there's going to be people that will listen to this thing. Oh, this is really interesting. And there may even be some kids who are going to start saying that this is an area they'd like to pursue. If it's something that uh, somebody is maybe coming out of high school and not sure what they're going to study. Uh, if somebody decides to get into this area, how do they prepare today? What's what's the direction? What is the the, the way you can you can study and get to the point that you can participate in the business like you have? That's a great question because there's some folks, young folks that just don't, don't like biology. You know, they, they just, and sometimes the way biology taught can turn off, you know, a lot of memorization or whatever it could be un uninteresting. But so, but if you like biology, then microbiology is certainly a great area to go into. 
Um, and if you to 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 work on the microbiome. But let's say you don't like biology. Well, that's okay because if you're a computer person, if you really like uh, um, you know, if you really like computers and computer programming, um, and then this field is for you because there's so much data we need to manage, and there's something called bioinformatics. So that is uh, once you get all those genetic sequences, um, you determine what the, geno- the the genes are of these microbes in the soil. Somebody has to interpret that. Okay, the bioinformatics people do that, and so there's a lot of opportunity. For folks who are good at computers, computer programming, bioinformatics, artificial intelligence, machine learning, because that is the future. Well, somehow we need to to get this word out to more and more people. Whoever's listening to Farm to Table Talk are going to get that message right now, too. And and I think we've been dealing with such basics now that that, uh, I know people that are going out and showing farm animals to people kids in the city because they've never seen one they can't tell necessarily a goat from a pony uh you know and and we're going a whole nother level when we're looking at all of these living critters that's right well you know i i did i've done in the past a lot of demonstrations in schools with what i did and what i would do is bring a stack of petri plates just without anything on it but filled up with auger so auger is the media to grow microbes okay so i'd have them ready to go um and then i would tell them okay go outside and come back um and come back and collect some samples okay collect some soil sand plant uh leaves whatever and then put them on the petri plate pat pat them you know like like sprinkle some soil on the petri plate or put your hand on the petri plate and and um and uh, or put a leaf imprint and then okay in another week we're going to come close the petri plate up we're going to come back and see what grows there and uh i i did this with a school in davis um it was a um let's see what what grade was it like maybe sixth grade or something oh my god they had so much fun and (laughs) the kids would 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 put their hands in their hair and then put their 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 fingers after they rubbed their hair into the petri plate so then we came back and then we looked at the petri plates and saw the amazing diversity of microbes that were on the petri plates. And I realized that, wow, that's a really good way to interest um, kids in this area. And it was so much fun. And that, we also tested the five second rule. Have you heard that if you drop your food on, right. yeah, you drop your food on the floor and then you just pick it up within five seconds, you can still eat it because it doesn't get contaminated. It's true. We tested that too. We had <laughs> drop the food on to pick it up in five seconds, and sure enough, you know, there we didn't increase the, the microbes on the micro on, on the, the food very much. So <laughs> you know, you know what? The, I mean, really, farm to table talk ends up having a higher percentage of people get all the way to the end than the average, and then those that stuck it out. This is one more thing that they can use is they learn to to <laughs> to believe in the five second rule, which uh, I I just it's scientifically uh, tested. I did it. I know. <laughs> a lot of others have tested. I was, too. I was at the park the other night and dropped a hot dog and I picked it up. <laughs> the ground stuck it in the bun and, uh, I, always I, uh, do, I, I always do that because i know it's not not going to harm me now that i i've tested it myself yeah. <laughs> now if hey, you were testing, so, if you had a if you had a you know you were dropping in an vat of bacteria that's different but if you're just on an ordinary floor you know it's okay <laughs> yeah a couple things now I, I really appreciate this conversation there's so much to learn here but as uh as we wrap up um where could people find uh, more information about 
about this whole area? Is there certain websites or books yeah. you recommend? And and then ultimately, how about your own current ventures that if people want to find and keep track of, of what's happening with the businesses that you're involved with, how do they do that? Well, our, our website is is www.invasivespeciescorporation.com. So that's an easy one. <laughs> yeah. And um, and to, I recommend the Soil Health Institute's website. Really good information. The Soil Health Institute has tested every different kind of practice, whether it's tilling or adding compost, and has determined its effect on so- soil health. And they published that. It's an incredible site. I also recommend the American Society of Agronomy. They have incredibly good webinars that are free about soil health and, and microbes as part of it, but it's not just microbes, but the whole soil health concept. And then ATRA, which stands, I forget what it is, but A-T-T-R-A, I forget what the acronym stands for, but A-T-T-R-A.org is packed with information on this topic. Wow. Well, there's so much to learn and you've helped a lot of us today. And then Pam, thanks for being on Farm to Table Talk. Well, it's great to be here and help educate about this subject, which is really quite interesting and the future of of how we farm. You've been listening to Farm to Table Talk with your host, Roger Wasson. 